Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Christ Jesus so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. It is good to be together, whether we are gathered online virtually or whether we are gathered here in person. I'm Adam Seed. I'm the lead pastor here at Orange, and today I am wearing my pentacoat, my bright and colorful coat reminding us of the day of Pentecost, that day that the Spirit breathed upon his church and the way that the church came alive. And so we celebrate this day. And I thought, what a better way to explain, uh, just very briefly, the way that I pray. Because from time to time, I'll have a question. Someone will ask me, when, when I close my prayer, I may close it a little differently than the way that they normally hear. Usually when we hear someone pray, a lot of times they'll close their prayer with, by saying, in the, I pray this in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, I add in, We pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so from time to time, people will ask me, why do you add in that part of the Holy Spirit? Because when I'm praying, I'm praying uh, to the Trinity. I'm praying in a Trinitarian formula, praying to God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, in the name of Jesus, for we are his representatives. But nothing, we can do nothing apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, we're going to look at a little bit more about what that means about when that spirit dwells within us and the way that we receive that life through that gift of the spirit. But before we go any further, let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we give thanks for on this day, we are reminded of the way that you breathed upon your church. The way that that spirit lived and dwelt within them equipping them, empowering them, enabling them, sending them out to be messengers, messengers of the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. So today, as we've already heard those words read from Acts chapter 2, may those words become real for us today in this moment. 
by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you transform the words that proceed from my mouth and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Years ago, it said that Abraham Lincoln attended worship one Wednesday evening. And as he left that service, his companion with him at the time asked him what he thought of the sermon that was preached. Trust me, one of the most terrifying questions a preacher can hear was asked. But that question was asked of President Lincoln, what did you think of the sermon? President Lincoln replied, well, it was brilliantly conceived, biblically relevant and well presented. And so his companion said, so it was a great sermon. And his reply was, no, it failed. It failed because Dr. Gurley did not ask us to do something great. Folks, I have a confession to make. I have failed many times in the sermons that are presented. So many times we present wonderful information. We present uh, opportunities that we might be able to grow and learn more. But very little times do I offer a message that may really be asking something great of you. I hope today is not another failure. I hope today we are able to receive the ask of what it means for us to live fully into being that body of Christ, being that that presence of the Spirit that dwells within us. So as I said, today is the day of Pentecost, a day when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the followers of Jesus Christ, a day that Jesus had promised prior to his death and resurrection, a day that Jesus himself had said one day that God would send the Comforter, the Helper, and that his Spirit would be poured out upon us. But this was not something completely novel or completely new to the people that heard those promises. As we look back over the Old Testament, from time to time, you'll get a little glimpse of when God would pour out his spirit upon certain specific individuals for very specific purposes. My favorite image of when God poured out his spirit was in, is found in the book of Exodus And in the book of Exodus, there's this one part where God is giving his instructions about how people are going to be building up the tabernacle. The tabernacle, for if you just forgot, the tabernacle was going to be that tent that was the symbol of God's presence. It's where sacrifices would be done. It's where prayers would be offered. And so as God is giving these very detailed instructions, they had to probably be wondering, how are we ever going to be able to figure this out? I mean, how many of you have ever bought something that came with instructions of assembly? And you have to begin looking at them and think, I'm never going to get this put together. I can imagine as God is giving these instructions to them about how they're to build up the tabernacle, they had to be wondering, how are we ever going to do this? And then it's explained, because it's explained that the Spirit of God is poured out upon two very specific individuals, Bezalel and Ohiliab. And Bezalel and Oheliab are suddenly gifted with the Spirit. And they suddenly have this gift of craftsmanship. The way that I'd like to imagine it, that these two guys probably couldn't even hammer a nail without hitting their thumb. They probably were completely clueless. But all of a sudden, the Spirit of God came upon them. 
And they suddenly were able to build up this magnificent tent that would travel with them all throughout the exodus, all throughout their journey in the wilderness. We saw the Spirit of God poured out upon the judges and when they would be called to lead. We saw the Spirit of God poured out even upon King Saul when he was anointed as the first king of Israel and God's Spirit came upon him to be able to lead. We see throughout the Old Testament very specific times and very specific people that the Spirit of God was poured out upon individuals for a very specific purpose. But on this day, in Acts chapter 2, I love the part that we didn't read today. We didn't read it because I don't think I've ever gotten through a Pentecost Sunday with that scripture being read without us giggling as we hear the pastor or whoever it is that is designated with having to read the names of all the different cities and places that people are from because I don't care how many times we practice some of those names that are found in the Bible, we're always going to stumble over it. I kid you not, I will listen to it over and over again and yet suddenly when I get up there, I turn Jebusites into the Bud Lights. It's crazy how we stumble through the names sometimes in the Bible. But in Acts chapter 2, what we very specifically have happen is that as they're gathered together in the upper room, they hear this sound like a mighty rushing wind, this big whoosh. It says that the Spirit of God came like divided tongues of fire, and it rested upon those who were once called disciples. Disciple is a word that means a student, and they had been students of Jesus Christ. But upon receiving that spirit, they become apostles, ones that are sent. And so as that spirit of God comes upon them, they rush out into the streets and they begin to boldly proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. They're giving witness and testimony to the deeds of what God has done. And the scripture says that people are suddenly amazed because, and that's where we get the wonderful list of names from all the different places that they're from. I'm going to give you homework. Remember that first part that I said about wanting to make sure that I don't fail. Here's some homework for you. I'm going to ask this of you. When you go home today, read Acts chapter 2 out loud. You thought I was just going to say read it, but no, read it out loud. And I'm sorry if you're listening on an app That doesn't count. That's somebody else reading. Read through it, Acts chapter 2, out loud. That's the first thing I'm going to ask of you today. And so they're giving witness, and they're saying, how is it that we're able to hear all of this? What in the world is going on? And they're so confused by what it is that's going on that somebody thinks that they have an idea of what must be happening with these disciples who are coming out and speaking in all these different languages that suddenly people are then able to understand and hear and recognize as their own tongue. And somebody identifies that what must be happening is, surely they must be drunk. I think that's funny, you know, when we don't understand something, it's got to be something deviant, it's got to be something wrong when we don't understand something, and they don't understand what's happening, so they try to come to the logical conclusion, well, surely they have had too much wine, that's where Simon Peter comes forward, Simon Peter, who without a doubt is my favorite uh, disciple, 
than slash apostle. He's my favorite because he always speaks without even thinking, you know? Like, remember out there on the boat, everybody else sees Jesus walking on the water and they think, it's a ghost! And Simon Peter says, Lord, if, if it's you, tell me to come. And Jesus says, come. And Simon Peter does it. He jumps out. I love Simon Peter because he's the one that says what he's thinking and does what he's thinking. And many times he does the wrong thing. But in this moment, he does the right thing. That's what gives me hope that we too, when filled with the Spirit, might say and do the right things. And that's where Simon Peter begins to deliver this message and says, surely we are not filled with wine, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. It's too early for that. But that's not enough. He continues and gives this convicting sermon that compels everyone that hears it. They hear this message of using the Old Testament, using prophecies that they've heard, that they've known, and he's laying it all out there for them and explaining that Jesus truly was the Messiah they had been waiting for and that he had been crucified, put to death. But he that was dead did not stay dead, for he was risen. And they were receiving this news, and it compels them so much they ask the question that I ask today. What should we do? They ask him, well, if all of this is true, what should we do? Well, Peter says, repent, <laughs> turn back. Come, see this new life that we have through this Christ. Repent, turn back. Be baptized just as we witnessed today. And as we participated in Bo's baptism, we too were reminded of our own baptism and those promises that were made on our behalf and those promises that we ourselves made. We renewed those promises. Repent and be baptized. And did you catch how many people were baptized that day? 3,000, yeah. 3,000 were added to their number. And what I love then is it begins to tell about what their new life together had looked like. And it has to be so much different than what it was before. Otherwise, it wouldn't be recorded. I mean, if they were baptized that day and then said, well, did that. See you later. And went about their lives just as they had been doing it before. Then the baptism would have meant nothing. The gift of the Spirit would have meant nothing. It had to be transformational for them. And oh, that it was. It begins to tell us exactly what, as they ask, what must we do? We begin to see what it was that they did. Here's where I get to stepping on toes today. It says that they began to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. These are the four marks. These are the four things that they began to truly devote themselves to not just one day a week for an hour when they were gathered together this was a transformed life what must we do what should we do it said again i'm going to break those down just a little that they held fast to the teachings of the apostles you know so many times 
the only time that we may actually read scripture is when we're involved in a small group, when we're in Bible study, when we're in church. But I believe for us to hold fast to the teachings of the apostles, that means that it's got to become a part of our daily life. And you know what? There's so many different ways that it can become a part of your daily life to live into the spirit-filled presence. There's so many different ways. You can set up an app to be able to get a reminder to read your scripture. You can do a daily Bible reading plan. But I promise you, every day that you have the opportunity to devote yourself to the apostles' teachings, you will find growth. You will feel that presence. And it's amazing the way that you'll read something here and then the very same day you'll encounter somebody that needed to hear that message i mean it's kind of like people that used to read their horoscope every day in the newspaper some of you may be too young to know what a newspaper is but it was this paper that was brought to your house that had news of what was happening now think of it as a paper version of the internet and so you would get the newspaper and in the newspaper there would be the horoscope section and you had to know when your birthday was and which sign you were on the astrological sign. I'm probably even messing it up as I'm trying to explain it. And it would give a little bit of fortune for you that day. You'll meet someone tall, dark, and handsome, something like that. And it would be amazing how if you'd read it, sure enough, the next day or so, you might see something and think, wow, it came true. No, it didn't. It didn't come true. It was so general and vague, but that's the difference between reading the scriptures, devoting ourselves to the apostles' teachings, to the Old Testament writings, to reading and learning and, and understanding. It's not so general and vague. We will see it applied in very specific ways that it becomes real for us. So they first devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, holding fast to that every day. The next thing that it said that they did is after devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings, they've committed themselves to fellowship, fellowship with one another. Now, as Pastor Corey read that scripture, you might have started feeling a little bit uncomfortable. And don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to sell all of your possessions to be able to share with one another. But do you understand what it was when they were incorporating that fellowship with one another into their lives, they were beginning to see that their life goes beyond just themselves. We live such siloed lives sometimes, hiding behind the, the walls and fences of our homes. We live such in a silo, but we're called to live into a fellowship. And when you have fellowship, when you have care with your brothers and sisters in Christ, with other people, you know what? When I find out that somebody is cold and needs a coat, I'm going to give them my coat. And some of you might be thankful for that. You know, it doesn't matter anymore because it's not about me. When we devote ourselves to the fellowship with one another, we begin to live a life that's bigger than ourselves. We commit our lives. We commit our lives to, to promising these children, as we've just promised Tip Bo today, that we're going to help them rise up to claim this faith, to be able to claim that which has been done today. That's when we commit to fellowship. That's what we're doing. We begin to see that our life is beyond just our, the silo of ourselves. That our life is so much bigger. And we begin to be willing to sacrifice we're willing to, you know what, if that's what it takes to be able to help this person out, 
then I'll sacrifice myself, my, my own things if need be. If it means offering help to those we love and care about. Committed to that fellowship. The next thing, as it said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread. <laughs> now, I like that part, <laughs> clearly. Something happens over a meal, doesn't it? Isn't it funny how many times we look at the stories of Jesus and how many interactions took place over a meal? So many different times we see something special happens there, but what we're really referring to here is another meal that we share. The breaking of bread and the sharing of the cup. Each time we participate in Holy Communion, we are reminded of not just that fellowship with one another, but that fellowship and union that we experience with God. They devoted themselves to this regular breaking of bread, sharing of the cup, not just breaking the bread and sharing a meal, but sharing in God's holy presence together. We do that once a month. John Wesley encouraged almost daily communion. Because when we participate in that, we receive that presence in such a unique and mysterious way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And lastly, they devoted themselves to prayer. You know, I've heard it said how prayer changes things. Many of you probably have said that as well. But a lot of times I think the thing that prayer changes is the one that is offering the prayer. I've been reminded of opportunities to pray for those enemies, as we're told about in the scriptures. And it's amazing. You can't go to the throne of God and lift somebody up in prayer and still hate and despise them the next minute. It begins to change us from within. And when we pray for one another, we are encouraged, we're uplifted, we are reminded that we're not alone in this journey. We are surrounded by so many others, but we are also in union with God. You know what it means to me when somebody tells me, I've been praying for you. That means somebody loved me enough to take my name before God Almighty. You know what, that's the thing. When we pray for one another, that's what you're doing. You're going to the almighty presence of God and you're saying, Lord, would you be real in their lives? Would you take this need or concern that they are experiencing and would you be glorified through it? We would devote ourselves to prayer, praying for and with one another. So here's the big ask, because I don't want at the end for someone to say how uh, about the sermon that it didn't ask anything of you. Here's where we are today. Number one, today I want to us commit to daily reading the scriptures, studying. And, and we're going to start today. I invite you to read Acts chapter 2 out loud. Remember that part. That's the part. Hold each other accountable. Husbands and wives, family, look at one another and say, you're going to do it. And, and you're going to laugh together. You're going to enjoy that experience together. Commit ourselves. Commit ourselves to reading God's word. Let's commit ourselves. Let's devote ourselves to daily 
trying to look for those opportunities of fellowship. It may be a simple email, uh, a text message to a friend, letting somebody know, you are in my thoughts, you are in my prayers, reaching out. But it may also be, let's get together and let's do something. Let's just be present. And as we're present with one another, we begin to recognize the needs. And we're willing to sacrifice. We're willing to sacrifice our own time. We're willing to sacrifice our own gifts. We're willing to be present. Be present. The third thing is to devote ourselves to the breaking of bread. Whether that means sharing a meal together or experiencing Holy Communion. Let's find ourselves committed to trying to find the ways that we might do that more. And lastly, look around the room, look at the names that are watching the service with you, and offer those people up to God. You may not even know their names, that's okay. God knows their names, what makes you think that it's important? We do. Well, it is important if you want to do the fellowship part, but let's commit to praying for, praying for those that we despise even, not just those that we love. Let's pray in such a way that it changes us from within. We saw what happened on the day of Pentecost. We saw how those lives were so radically transformed that they began to sell their possessions and experience this life together, offering it up for one another. All I'm asking you is to let's live a life so radically transformed that we commit ourselves to these same things today. That's what I'm asking of you. Let us pray. Lord God, you gave us the ultimate gift in your son, Jesus Christ. You gave us the opportunity for new life once again. And you called us into this life together. As you pour out your spirit upon us, may we receive that spirit and may it transform us. May we not just receive that word, but may we begin to act upon it. May the transformation in our lives be so remarkable through our commitment to living out this life together that thousands may come to know and believe that you truly are who you said you were. You are the one true God. We pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.